Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. In this episode, we get to talk with Sam Bauscher from the UK, from Sam Bauscher Chainsaw Carving. Um, Sam's had a lot of cool stuff going on lately. Uh, he was on the show A Cut Above, the Netflix series, and he and his father are being featured on the shirts and merchandise at this year's Ridgeway Rendezvous. So let's go ahead and bring Sam on. Hi, Sam. Hi, Amoli. How are you? Good. We're having a blizzard here in Minnesota, even though it's March. How are you doing over there? Uh, one day it's absolutely freezing cold, and then the next day it's like, geez, I've got to take a jacket off. Um, we haven't Where I am in the south of Scotland, we've not had much in the way of snow this year, or this winter at all. We've had a lot of cold weather, but um, kind of thankfully no snow, because it's getting to that time of year where the last thing you want is snow to kind of slow things up and stop things moving. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, how did you get started chainsaw carving? Um, well, I guess I'm one of the small few around at the minute where I'm like a second generation carver. Um, so ever since I was wee, like I've grown up around chainsaw carving. So my my dad's been a chainsaw carver for about 30 plus years. Um, and I'm only 25. So from the minute I was born, there was carvings around me and there was chainsaws and there was sawdust and all this kind of stuff. Um, so ever since I was wee, I've been going to events, um, my heroes growing up for other carvers, it was never my dad, <laughs> um, it was the likes of like Dan Cordell, I idolised Dan Cordell, I think you've done a podcast with Dan, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, like Dan Cordell, I idolised him, um, people like Brett McLean, Bob King, I was just like, oh my god, it's, it's Bob King, <laughs> um, so yeah, I've carving's never really been a new thing for me it's um it's just been one of those things in my life it's been there all the time um but believe it or not like as although it's been in my life my whole time it's uh i didn't do my my first carving until i was 18 um so my dad isn't a full-time carver so during during the week he works full-time for a, a forestry company um it's so like felling commercial like he doesn't do the felling he organizes the felling of commercial timber sites and stuff like this um so carving for him has always been a nighttime and weekend job so whenever whenever he did need to carve it was i'm out here to make money and get jobs ticked off the list I'm not out here to sign and what make sure you don't cut your leg off with a chainsaw <laughs> um sure. so yeah it was uh i had to wait a long time and uh, just the other day my mom found a from a Christmas list of mine from, I think I was 10 years old. I must have put Sam Bowsher Christmas list 2008 to Santa. And top of the list was um, Chainsaw Chaps. <laughs> <I'd>, uh, <laughs> I can always remember being a wee kid and going to these events. And like if the Americans were coming over or seeing, like, you know what it's like, you'd, you only ever really see carvers at other events and stuff like this. And um, always the first question, has your dad let you do a carving yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually had my first crack at it when he was my him and my dad. Uh, sorry, him and my mum were away on a on a cruise. I think they might have even been with other carvers. I think they might have been with Tim and Michelle Burgess and um, Bob and Cindy King. Um, okay. So that classic, you're not supposed to drive your parents' car or ride the motorbikes when they're away on holiday. My version was a uh, don't touch the chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I had my first crack when I was 18 and I think I got bitten by the bug straight away. 
Cool. That's a fun story. And I know me personally, I, I work full time as a teacher and my, my son just tried last year. I was at an event and he made a carving and they let him put it in the auction. Oh, right. And he realized he could make a bunch of money off the carving. And now all of a sudden he's cooked and he. (laughs) Yeah. And, but like my whole, I was always frustrated. I was like, just let me carve, let me carve. But obviously as you grow up, you start seeing things from your parents' perspective. And like, I don't have kids. Um, but when I'm carving away, I'm thinking there's no wonder he didn't like have me out in the shed carving with him because like, and then his thing was always at what age is it okay to give your child a chainsaw? (laughs) Um, And it's like, like I say, when I'm carving now, I'm thinking you don't have the, like I say, because he was always carving to get jobs ticked off the list and it was always kind of last minute, uh, last minute for my dad. So he was always under pressure. So he couldn't just be keeping one eye looking over his shoulder being, okay, Sam's still not chopped his arm off. He's all good. <laughs> yeah, I can totally understand that. My husband just said to me the other day, because I do it two nights and weekends, and he's like, why are these always like down to the wire last minute? We're like staining or carving in the dining room, you know, yeah. a week before we have to deliver it. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's mad. Um, and like, I think if you talk to most carvers in the UK that know my dad, they'll all say the same thing. And like my, although I say my dad was part time, he probably got as many carvings on a year as the full time guys. Um, <laughs> he was just he's he's kind of sickened himself of carving now because it was always a chore. And I only found this out a couple of months ago. He, um, he was just like, I he goes to carve if he's got a carving event, he's got orders on. It's not like okay, let's go out and get this done. It's a oh man. I've got to go come home from work at six o'clock, have my dinner and be out in the shed till 10 o'clock at night. And then that's my weekends done. (laughs) Um, I can relate to that. Yeah. So when, when did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Um, so when I left school, I became a welder fabricator, a metal worker. Um, and the reason for that was I wanted to somehow get into the business of building rally cars um, so me and my older brother, like I'm the youngest in my family, um, and me and my older brother followed rallying from when we were quite wee. Um, so when I left school, that's what I wanted to do was, ah, oh, I want to go into building these rally cars. Um, but there's not, there wasn't really anyone around here that did that. So I left school and joined a local engineering firm and it was just like a kind of one man band company. And I did a, I don't know if it's the same for you guys over there, but we get apprenticeships over here. Um, so you do so many days a week of working at a place and then two days a week you've got to go to college and do the paperwork side of things um and they basically make sure you're you're not just skiving um skiving at work you've got to actually put the work in so that would have been 2014 i started my apprenticeship um, when i was 16 years old and um so i can say i did my carving two years after that and I think in my first year, I probably did maybe 10 to 20 carvings. Um, and then when I was 19, we flew over to Washington State and we did a big boys trip over there with um, uh, Steve Backus and Bob King were like our tour guides. And they hooked us up. And I was like, I would challenge anyone to go on that kind of holiday and stay with those kind of people and not come back going, I want to do that. Like, that's what right. I want my life to be. Um, 
so I was still working as a welder fabricator. And then when I was 20, I actually bought my first house. Um, not because I was uh, making big money as a welder fabricator, just because the house was getting sold for very cheap. <laughs> so okay. at 20, I got my first house and um, I was still working as a welder. And then in 2019, I actually got made redundant. So I'd finished the apprenticeship and um, I got made redundant in the June 2019, literally two days before flying over to America. Um, for my 21st birthday, I got tickets to America as my present. And I went to stay with um, Brett and Casey McLean in New Jersey for a few weeks. And uh, so I was flying there on a Sunday and the Friday night my boss came around and we stood in my, uh, we stood in my li- or what was meant to be my living room at the time, but my house was a big project. Um, I've only just finished it the last year or so. Um, and he stood in there and he goes, I'm really sorry, Sam, we've got nothing on, I've got to let you go. And I was just stood there in this like hovel of a house just going, okay, uh, this is okay. <laughs> No problem at all. <laughs> um, and that Saturday, the following Saturday, I went. Oh, I drove about forty minutes away and went to see another engineering firm about a job. And I must have been there for about three hours. And it was. I thought it was, it was a job interview, basically, but it was more just like a come and see the premises, see what you think. It was a guy that I knew of through the rallying world, the rallying world. Um, and like I say, I was there for about three hours or so. And to finish the conversation, he went, "Sam, do you even want to be a welder?" And I was like, why would you even ask that? I was like, I've just been here for three hours to get a job interview. He's like, all we've talked about for the majority of the three hours is chainsaw carving. And I was like, I was like, oh, oh, I guess we have. I was like, I didn't even notice this. <laughs> um, so the Sunday I flew over to New Jersey, like I say, I spent, I think it was two weeks I spent with Brett and Casey. Um, and obviously they're full-time carvers uh, an hour from New York City. And I did some carvings with them and, it was like a hol- a carving holiday, so we did a bit of sightseeing, we did a bit of carving, and I came back from that, and I think I went to two other carving, of, uh, sorry, two other welding businesses, and those guys asked the same thing. They're like, "Gee, Sam, it sounds like you should be a carver, not a welder." And at the same time as going around to see all these welding places, I was just saying yes to more and more carving orders, um, and then before I knew it, it was like four months since I'd worked as a welder. And I was like, hey, I think this is going to work. And my mum and dad were kind of against it for being a full-time job and not in a unsupportive way, but in the sense of with their sensible hats on going, Sam, if you go on holiday, unless you're carving, you don't make money. If you have an injury, you don't get paid injury um, or paid for your time off work injured. Um, and obviously all the other benefits that come, in, come from full-time employment. But right. my argument was kind of, but think of all our family friends and think of all our carving friends and like from the outside looking in, how amazing is their life? Like obviously they, they have hardship and they have uh, they have weeks or months where they're not sure if the bills are going to be coming in. But I was like, just look at them. Like I'm pretty sure we all think the same and we come away from staying with family friends that are full-time carvers. I think we all come away going, oh man, they've got it right. Um, so like I say, it was... Before I knew it, four months had gone by, and then before I knew it, it was Christmas, and I think everyone's the same. The Christmas rush is always manic. Um, so I made, I can remember, well, I can remember looking back, it was about last year, I think I was bored at an airport, and I was just thinking back to when I started carving full time. And I think in my first few months, I'd like tripled what was in my bank account from working as a welder to working full time as a carver. Um, and I think my mum and dad kind of gave me some slack on that front because I wasn't. 
it wasn't like I became a full-time carver and I was like, awesome, I can get out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning and I can take days off and go go do whatever I want. Like, I, I'm i pretty strict on myself. Like, I, I get, out the, get out of bed about seven, half seven every morning. I get up to the shed for eight, half eight, and I carve till the work's done. Um, so I think once they realised I was pretty serious about making it a full-time thing, they were pretty relaxed in me um, pursuing it. <laughs> Because that discipline is tough when you're your own boss. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. And like I say, my dad, obviously I've grown up with my dad having the work ethic that he has. And my mum, when she was working, she used to get out, uh, well, start work at half four in the morning. Um, so I've always been surrounded by folk with a good work ethic. And I think it soon rubs off on you. But like I say, it's my, it sounds daft, but my struggle was not carving. <laughs> um, right. Like I just, until about Christmas last year, I was, I've heard a few folks say, make comments to me and they're like, Sam, you're like a one man factory. And I was like, what do you mean? Like surely everyone carves this hard. And they're like, no, like you need to watch yourself. You're going to burn yourself out. And right enough, I did. <laughs> um, but like I say, so I started carving full time in June, 2019. Um, and I booked a three week trip over to Mississippi for March, 2020. To go and stay with um, Dayton and Michelle Scoggins, who uh, are just about the most amazing folk I think I could ever get to spend three weeks in Mississippi with. <laughs> I owe a, I owe a lot to Dayton and Michelle. Um, like I I don't know what happened on that three week trip, but I went there as a carver. That you're like that kid's clearly starting out, and he's he might get there one day, but he's got a long way to go yet. And in those three weeks, I spent with Dayton and Michelle and. Um, in Mississippi they just something clicked I don't know what it was but something clicked and I came back and I was carving stuff standing back going did I just make that <laughs> <laughs> um, and like I look at them like I look back at photos now of the stuff I was making there and I was going oh my god it's so bad and like I was li- literally <laughs> this morning because it was it would have been this kind of time um, three years ago that I was there so all the memories are popping up on my phone and I was like, oh my God, I can remember being so proud of that. And I look, like I say, I look at it now and I'm embarrassed by it. But um, obviously everyone does that when they look back at old work. But that was right. a that was a pretty scary time because that was right around the time where uh, coronavirus was all kicking off. But I was kind of oblivious to this because I was 20 years old on holiday, uh, no, how old would I have been? 22 years old on holiday having a great time. And I was like, I was hardly on my phone. I wasn't listening to the radio. We weren't really watching the news. We didn't really... Like we knew it was going on, but I didn't really grasp what the situation was. And I was hearing the odd bits and bobs from home. Um, and I flew back to the UK the day the UK went into a lockdown. Um, so I came back from this massive high, like being on holiday, having the best time ever. My carving's getting better. And I came back to the UK and it was just like a ghost town. I couldn't go up to my, couldn't go up to my family house. I, um, it was just like, and I just remember sitting in my house after the holiday going, what is about to happen in my life? Like, I'm six months into a self-employed career and, sorry, a worldwide pandemic has just kicked off. Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, that would be a shock. It sure was. Um, but thankfully, any carver I talked to anyway has said the same thing and it's about the busiest year they've ever had in their lives. Um, I think it was because people weren't spending the money, or customers that usually spend their money on their yearly holiday to Spain or whatever and obviously weren't going on those holidays so they wanted to spend the money on something and a lot of them seem to be spending the money on chainsaw carvings. Um, right. 
So what I thought was going to be a year of sitting twiddling my thumbs, hoping for the next job to come in, would turn into a year of how am I going to get all this work done? <laughs> oh, great problem to have. Um, I wish I could have that problem every year until I finish Garmin. Right. <laughs> so I was, I was going to ask you too, what is your what is your setup like? Like your shop and, and where do you get wood from and all that kind of stuff? Um, well, I'm very fortunate um, and the carvers that like, know me that don't know this will probably go, that lucky little bugger. Um, but so I'm quite fortunate. My dad built himself a good carving shop. Um, it'll be about 15 or so years ago now. Um, so it's everything you would need from a carving shed. And uh, I can't remember ever actually asking, but I've since kind of made it MySpace. <laughs> um I was like, Dad, you know, I just need to use it for this weekend. I need to use it for that weekend. And then before you know it, uh, I stuck my elbows out and it became Sam's Carving Shed. <laughs> um, but it's nothing fancy. It's just it's just exactly what you need for carving. There's a big, open, airy space. Obviously, get the fumes away, get the light in, and um, keeps you dry, when the, which we have a lot of, when the rain comes on. Um, so some are dry to work away, and it's... Like I say, it's excellent, and I'm just very lucky that someone else had built it. <laughs> um, but as for wood, I have some pretty good connections over over here because um, my brother and my dad both work in the commercial forestry business, so they're often dealing with like large logs or surplus stock and stuff like this. And through them, I've met a lot of other people that do similar jobs. So if anyone ever comes across something quite nice. Um, I usually get the phone call. So I tend to buy, uh, like our wood lorries over here are a lot smaller than the ones you guys have in the States, but about 26 tonnes is how much one of our wagons can carry. So maybe three to four times a year, I'll buy 26 tonnes of timber. Um, And obviously you always try and get the biggest logs you can because it's easier to make wood smaller than it is to make wood bigger. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, Oh, cool. So yeah, that's basically, I always try and get my stuff from commercial forestry sites. And the bonus of that is, that, like, I couldn't, I don't think I've ever, ever, ever hit a nail in a log. Um, mainly because obviously the logs I'm buying are growing on purpose-made forestry sites. Um, so you don't have the, you don't have the old granny going out to hang her bird feeder up and sticking the six-inch nail in the tree. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's a big bonus of it. Okay, so the next thing I was going to ask you, you know, a lot, a lot of times you're probably doing orders or stuff that other people have asked for, but when you're carving what you want, what has helped you to find your own style? Um, I don't know. I don't know if... I've always wondered this with people, like, is style something that you consciously come up with or is it just something that, like, develops itself? Um, I know that sounds like a really arty question sorry I already answered to the question but um like I can't ever remember consciously going right I want my carvings to be known for x and I want my carvings to look like this um like I, I obviously everyone if you ask if you line 10 carvers up and ask them all to carve the same thing you're going to get 10 different looking things but um I think what I'm probably best known for is my speed I'm a I'm a pretty quick carver um and that obviously comes from, like I say, my whole childhood watching other people carve. 
and just watch and kind of subconsciously, if that's the right word, I think it is, uh, kind of subconsciously taking in tips and little tricks without even noticing. Um, like I can remember, obviously, when we did the TV show, I spent a lot of time getting to know Ryan Villers quite well. And we started carving a similar kind of time. Um, and like he would come out with stuff and like, oh, Ryan, how do you not know that? And then I kind of have a moment in my head going, well, Sam, you've been watching it for since you're like, since you're aware you're taking information and you've known about chainsaw carving, like Ryan's completely right. new to this for five years. Um, but I don't know. I think, like I say, I'm probably known for being quite a quick carver and I think my strengths are getting the kind of forms in quite accurately, quite quickly. I think that all goes back to at school. My strongest subject was um, technical drawing. So I'm assuming you guys over there have a similar subject in your schools. Where it's like you do your, like your orthographic drawings and like house plans and stuff like that. Do you guys have that subject? I, we do. I don't think it's required for everyone, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we um, it was mandatory for us for our first few years at school, and then once you could pick your own subjects, it was my like that was my favorite subject, and obviously that all, I was quick at that. I can remember like our exam in school was three and a half hours, and. I finished the exam in an hour and a half and the guy wouldn't let me leave the hall. He thought I'd, uh, he thought I'd given up. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm finished. Like I'm done. There's another two hours left in the exam. I can't let you go. And I'm like, but I'm done. <laughs> and I ended up getting an A. Uh, I got an A in the, in the exam. And like, it's, it sounds stupid to say probably out loud, but like when I, when I think back to that subject, like you're, you spend your whole time going from point to point. So like to find that corner of the, if you're drawing a house, say, to find that corner of the house, you've got to project it from that side of the drawing, from the other side of the page and all this kind of stuff. And that's what I do with my reference drawings. Like, I'm always looking for, okay, on that animal or on that someone's dog or on that person, where does that line come from? Like, where can I get to that the quickest? Um, and I think that's how I'm quite quick at getting my carvings done because I'm always looking for that, where's that quick line, where's that, where's that projecting from and like if I take horse heads as an example that's kind of my I, I carve a lot of horses for people and I don't know why me particular but it's kind of became one of my things and um, I became I came I became quite obsessive with horse heads for a while like for a few months that's all I wanted to carve I was like I'm just gonna carve horse heads until I get good at them <laughs> um but like when I'm when I take a piece of wood and I'm marking out to start my first cuts um there's a few lines on horse heads that I kind of just like ingrained in my head now and that's where I that's how I know if I'm going on the right path or the wrong path of the horse head carving it's like a little crash course for anyone who wants to a little quick crash course on horse heads it's like stupid things like if you're blocking out the front of them their widest point is their eyebrows so if you have enough drawings you can measure up and you can work out the width of the eyebrows that's the first two cuts I always put on my horse head so straight away I'm down to the width of the horse head needs to be and then um it's things like their, you know, their cheekbone that sits just below their eye. Yeah. Um, like the quickest way I get that in is I noticed after looking at, I don't know how many hundreds of pictures of horses, that line, that sorry, that cheekbone runs on a line from the, the rear corner of their eye to the corner of their mouth. So if you don't have that cheekbone running on that line, it just makes the whole, whole horse head look wrong. Um, and that's basically what I do on all my carvings. I'll just look for look for similar lines or look for planes and stuff like this that all point in a certain direction. And 
once you get them all pointing the same way, before you know it, you have something that's fairly close to accurate. That's cool to hear how you do that. And I I totally agree about the subconscious with the style. Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of it does just happen. Yeah, that's it. Like obviously everyone wants to well, I'm assuming everyone wants to try and make their most realistic carving they can. Um but like I say, I carve quite a realistic fox, but then if you go and look at for example, like Ken Packy, he does a very realistic fox, but our foxes don't look at all the same. <laughs> Um, and that's why I think carving is so popular. Like when you go to carving events and you get the spectators walking around and they're everyone they stop at, they go, oh, look at what that guy's doing. Oh, oh, look what that guy's doing. I think it's because they can walk around a field with 20 guys carving and everything is different, but it's all normally pretty good. <laughs> okay. So I know it hasn't aired over by you yet. I think, I don't know where it's all aired in Canada and the U S um, yeah. but you were on a cut above. Yeah. So without giving too much away, like what can you tell us about like applying to be on it and being accepted on the show? Yeah, so um basically the cut above it was a it was an email offering us a an audition. So I know a few other carvers have got the same email. It was actually we were at we were all at a carving event in England um about a week or two after the emails got sent out. And we weren't supposed to be saying anything to anybody, but we were all kind of looking at each other going and without saying it, just kind of going, did you get a, did you get an email last week from, and they're like, yes. Did you get that email too? And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I know of, I think about six of us that all got the same email and basically that's how it was. It was uh, how we're looking to make a TV program about chainsaw carving Um would you be interested in it? And if so, could we set up an audition? Um, so it would have been the summer of, uh, let me get my years right. I think it would have been the summer of 2021. Yeah, it must have been summer 2021 that we all uh, we all had our video call interviews. Um, and that was basically it. I didn't hear a thing until about February last year, which told me in a month's time I was flying out to BC in Canada and I was going to be taking part in a TV show. And I was like, Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So then you went in March? or uh, It would have been, yeah, end of March, I think, I flew out. Okay. Um, and, yeah, like, obviously, without giving too much away, I ended up being there for quite a long time. Um, I think I ended up spending about two months in Canada, uh, which was just the craziest experience of my life. Um, something I obviously will never, ever forget. And it's a shame. I, obviously, I can't say too much about the show because when this podcast comes out in the UK – um whoever wants to listen to it probably won't have seen the tv shows so i can't give too much away but i just i don't think i could have asked for a better group of carvers to spend eight weeks with or just the crew that are on the show the majority of them are all just like absolute golden people just i don't really have words to describe it because it's not like anything i can't even compare it to anything else it was just anything you think making a tv show would be like it was the opposite and I feel like what you're saying really comes across in the show. Like right. you can tell that everybody's kind of like bonded and friends and like you just get a really good vibe watching it. Yeah, well that's it. Like we so obviously when we're on set, we're carving for well, what are the challenges? Were they nine hour or seven hour carves? I can't remember. I seven. Seven hours, yeah. Aye, so it was two hour quick carving and seven hour carve. So obviously during those carvings you're not interacting with each other, but um like as soon as the cameras are off, we're all sat 
it was called the circus. That's where they kept like all the treats and the snacks and all this kind of stuff. So obviously, Carver's never that far away from snacks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's where uh, that's where I spent the majority of time. And like, like I spent eight weeks with Chris Wood, who's a guy I thought I knew quite well. Um, and after eight weeks, it's like, geez, I know everything about, or what seems like everything about this guy. Um, and the same as Ryan Villers. Ryan was a guy I, I. Uh, I only knew through Instagram. I think I maybe sent him one or two messages before the show. Um, and obviously I didn't know he was going to be on the show until we got there. And uh, I can remember looking out our ho- or looking out my hotel room window one of the days before the filming started. And I was like, oh, that's a nice pickup. What does that say in the door? Oh no, it's his, it's his Villers woodwork or woodcarving, whatever Ryan's business is called. I was like, oh no, Ryan's here. <laughs> yeah, it's like in that space of eight weeks from a guy that I... Uh, only followed Instagram and loved the carvings he was doing. It was like, we're the best of pals now. And like we talk most weeks and I'm actually staying at Ryan's house before a competition later this year. And it's just for that, I'll be forever grateful for the TV show just because you, I would like, what other situation would I ever get to spend eight weeks with the likes of Chris Wood, uh, Jesse Toso, John Hayes, Ryan Villers, like, uh, Sylvia and all like people like oh everyone else is on the show. It was just like an amazing experience, and like I say, it's not like I can't compare it to anything else. <laughs> was the recording of the show or like the challenges and stuff were they how what you expected, or was most of it a complete surprise? To be honest, I was quite surprised, but in the good sense. So obviously, we've all seen the the challenge shows you get like. Um, Forged and Fire and stuff like that and I really struggled to watch Forged and Fire because it just seems so staged it's like mm-hmm. it's like, oh my god will this guy's sword cut through this piece of steel and it's like well the way you're talking probably not and then it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's what I thought so I was kind of if anything I went into the show going oh I don't know if this is going to be good or not like I don't know if this is going to do Chainsaw Car in a world of good or like no good at all um because i was expecting like i generally thought it was going to be things like okay sam uh you've just carved a really nice for talking sake uh owl there so we're just gonna get the camera set up could you accidentally walk backwards and push that thing over so it falls over? like i generally thought that's what they were going to have us doing um, yeah. and it i can hand on my heart say there was nothing like that set up um and as you as you see people getting voted off the show, that is our, like, we genuinely have no idea who's going, who's winning until we're stood in that stage. Obviously, by the time you've watched it, we know what's happened, but um, when it's being filmed, that is the first time we find out what's happening, and I'm so glad it was done that way. I generally thought we were all going to be actors for 12 episodes. Carvers are pretty genuine people, so I think it would be a pretty bad acting show. <laughs> right, it's kind of fun, because I, I knew... I knew almost everybody on the show, right? you know, in some capacity from being at events with them. And when we were watching, I, I would be like, I would say to my husband, Eric, I'm like, Chris, Chris would actually say that, you know, yeah. like you, I was like, they're not acting. They would actually say that. That's it. And like, I've seen clips of the show and some episodes of the show already. And like, I'm glad they put some of that stuff in. Like, I can remember there's one where I think it started raining and I just started talking rubbish about what the weather's doing. <laughs> and it's like that's what I do like I just as you can notice in this podcast I just ravel on like I just someone actually normally has to tell me Sam shut up <laughs> but that's, 
that's what they did in the TV. Like they would just let me ravel on, and then they put that in the show. And then, like, if Chris was having a, if his back had gone in the day or his saws weren't working, they didn't cut it out. So he's going, "This Echo Three Six One is the best saw I've ever used." Like it was this piece of shit chainsaw, <laughs> and that's what I loved. And I'm so glad they did it like that because, like you say, and of all the comments I've seen on social media and stuff, that seems to be what folk took away from it that had watched it. They're going, it's so nice to see. You can see you generally all liked each other. Um, and like, we were actually gutted when people got voted off the show. But yeah, it was, it was like I say, it was nothing like I expected it to be, but for all the good reasons. And um, I had no idea how hard people on TV work. Like, yeah. honestly, if you could see the, the cameramen and women, for all the hours that we are carving they're holding their big cameras for that time and then all our interviews and then all the judges pieces and then like for all the hard work we're doing there's about 12 to 15 camera men and women that are doing the same hard work and then like the director would be on set all day putting this person there that person there on with the headset on getting taught by 10 folk through the headset having to get this camera guy in the right place and then when we're offset and we all go to the bar, we have a beer, and she sat there on her laptop editing the next episode. And it's like, oh my God, I thought you guys had like the best job in the world because I thought I'd just be turning up, set the cameras on. Okay, see you, but no, it's far from that. Good to know, yeah, it's stuff you never see. Yeah, and that's what was cool. And I, I think I'm a bit of a nightmare to watch TV shows with now because I just say to folk, I know who they actually did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but no, I can like the, the hardest parts were when you're standing on stage and um, just waiting for either a who the winner is or b who's going home. And it probably only in real life it probably only lasted a minute. But they honestly felt from the minute where Adam went, the person leaving us today is, and it felt like an hour until the answer came out because it was like, oh wait, a bird just flew over and squawked at the wrong time. <laughs> can we do that one again? and it was oh there was days where it was just like you're killing us here yeah I think obviously everyone's taken a different thing from the show and there will be negatives for sure but I think we can all safely say we've all came back as better carvers Um, like I would I think you'd struggle to put anyone anyone in a situation where their work's getting criticised for eight weeks and you wouldn't come out better like I think criticism is probably the best thing you can obviously constructive criticism you don't want to just tell someone they're bad at something and walk away that like you've got to explain why something doesn't really work uh, right. and i'll be honest and i think everyone's the same you don't like hearing it like there was times where ryan or Catherine would lay into one of my carvings and you're standing there going damn it ryan lay off man um, <laughs> when i watch it back i'm like oh god he's so right like that is or Catherine's so right and like that really had no movement in it. But when I stood there, I was going, what do you mean it's got no movement? It's moving there. I can see, oh yeah, no, they're right. (laughs) (laughs) You're too close to it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So, and I know we don't want to get too much into it because we don't want to give anything away. So I was going to ask you too, just in general, when you're carving, if you ever get like stuck on a piece, like you're having a really hard time, what do you do or who do you talk to? How do you get through it? Um, to be honest, I'm not a guy that likes having more than one carving on at a time. So I know a lot of guys, if they're carving away and everyone gets those days where you're just like, I cannot get this today. Like, this is just not coming out. 
Um, I know a lot of guys that will just walk away, they'll get another log up and they'll start something else, whereas I can't. Because I would spend my whole time carving the other thing going, what is it? I'm not carving it. It's so wrong. Or what can I not get? So generally, I just kind of grip my teeth and get on with it. But I'm really good friends with um, James Elliott, who's another guy that I think you've had on the show before. Um, yeah. And me and James, only live, like we live less than an hour away from each other. We see each other as often as we can. But we talk, oh man, if I had a pound for every message uh, I've sent James or James has sent me, we'd be millionaires, I think. Um, <laughs> but that we're like each other's go-to. So as soon as we're struggling or as soon as we're getting, we think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, we'll just ask each other for a bit of a reality check. Um, and like we're pretty brutally honest with each other at times. Um, and it's great. And like I say, surround yourself. Any advice I would give to someone starting in carving or even in carving and they feel like they're getting nowhere for a little while surround yourself with good people that are, aren't afraid to criticize you because it's like anything if you're a if you're a barista that's what it makes coffee isn't it a barista yeah <laughs> like if you're if you're a barista and you're unknowingly make the worst coffees in town but no one ever tells you you're not going to change anything you're going to keep right. you're going to keep making the worst coffees and everyone's going to go great job i love my morning coffee thanks sam see you later um and it's the same for carving. If you just surround yourself with people that tell you how good you are, you have no reason to progress. And I try and do the op- well. Like I say, no one likes getting criticism, but it's only about ten minutes later after the criticism sunk in, you go, "Oh, that worked out for the better." So generally, I'll just ask. I'll just I'll normally send James a picture, going, "What have I got wrong here?" Or um, I don't normally have to ask my dad for any criticism because it just comes out. I'm pretty lucky; <laughs> he's, he's got no filter, so he'll come back after working all day and he'll go. Pfft, what is that? <laughs> um, but that's a bit, and that's all you. Sometimes that's all you need is someone to go. There's something not right there, and you you might be completely unaware, and you'll stand. What do you mean? Like I say, you'll go. What do you mean? There's something's not right. This is looking great, and then you might come in the next day, or you might stop for your lunch, and you start up again. And you go, oh, they were right. Like that is so wrong, and um, yeah, it's just that's basically what I do. Is I just ask people for their honest opinion and. Thankfully, I'm surrounded by people that aren't afraid to give it. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice to find find some people in your life that can do that for you. Yeah, like like I'm sure you're part of that chainsaw carvers group on Facebook, and that thing's just grown arms and legs. I think there's is there like sixty thousand members of that group now. Yeah, it's um, getting big. I don't know. Yeah, but one of my bu- biggest bugbears, and obviously everyone sets out to carve for different reasons. It might be to make a little bit extra money. It might be to make the best most realistic bears they can or it might be just because they enjoy it but what really is a bugbear of mine on that facebook group is no one's out there or it seems that no one's out there to give or receive criticism and it's like i think that's the biggest problem with social media is everything's amazing everything's great um right. where sometimes you just kind of you see what some people are posting and what some people are commenting it's like you're doing each other no favors there like you need someone just to go okay it's okay for your third attempt but Next time, you really need to try this. <laughs> I know, and it's hard because sometimes they ask and genuinely seem like they want criticism, but then if you give it, yeah, then, then you're a bad guy. <laughs> well, that's it. And like I can remember, I did a, I did the Libby competition last year in Montana, um, and I can safely say that is one of the best competitions I have ever done. Like obviously, I've not done many, um, or I've done the same ones a lot more than once, but. I don't see how you could improve Libby. Like the the organizers, so I know the Bacchuses and Liz Bonnie and 
Um, people like that have a lot to do with it. They get the right people in judging. So the, last year it was Dayton Scoggins was a judge. Jess Amadoski was a judge. Uh, Pat McVeigh was a judge. And I think it was two people from the town. Um, okay. And like I say, I'm obviously really good friends with the Scoggins. So the whole, what was it, a three or four day competition, I knew Dayton wanted to walk up to me and go, what you've done there is so bad, but he couldn't, like, he just couldn't say a thing. Whereas Dayton's the kind of guy that would walk up and tell you. But obviously, because right. he's a judge, he couldn't just give you a little nudge and just go, some you to fix that. But um, right. I met Mark Colt player for the first time. And obviously, Mark's, I think when you start in the carbon world and you're starting to, like, learn who the big guys are and the big players, obviously, Mark Colt's name comes up fairly quick. And I can yeah. remember it was like on this, the second day or the first day, he came up and he was like, Sam! that eagle tail you've carved there is horrendous and it's right in everyone's eye line. And I was like, I kind of turned around and I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, is it? And um, so at some point over the course of the day, I'd fixed the tail. And like, he, he didn't just walk up and go, that's crap and walked away. Like he came up and he was like, he started with that's crap and then explained why. He was like, that's so, like, when have you ever, and he just, he asked you the kind of question, you go, when have you seen an eagle with a tail that looks like that? And when I couldn't answer it, I was like, okay, he's right. Um, but then at the end of that day, he came up and apologized. He was like, Sam, I, I think I owe you an apology. And sometimes I can come in a bit hard on folk. I'm like, not at all, Mark. Like, you were completely right. And I want you to walk up and give me criticism. Um, and I remember at the end of that day as well, Dayton came up and he just went, oh, my God, thank God you fixed that eagle tail. It was so bad. <laughs> um and I, it was, like I say, once the judging and everything had finished and all the awards had got given out and you could actually talk to the judges more personally, it was, um, I walked straight up to Dayton and I grabbed Jeff Samadoski as well. I took him over to my car and I was like, I said, okay, guys, tear me apart. Like, what have I done wrong? I want to know. And we spent about 10, 15 minutes and they were going, this is really, really good. This is rubbish. This is really, really good. This is rubbish. This docked you a point which saw you drop from this place to that place. Whereas this helped you get up the plate and they were brilliant. And like I say, it was only 10 to 15 minutes and it was like, awesome. Like, thank you very much. And then uh, Ryan Villers kind of clocked onto what they were doing. So he said, okay, guys, come over to mine and do the same with me. Um, <laughs> and Ryan did that big lion and they were brilliant with uh, Ryan. Like that face that Ryan carved on his lion was awesome. But then they would, they were just saying that leg's a little bit too long there and it would have been cool if you got a little bit more movement. And you can see he's, He's going, okay, now I know what to do next time. And Tomas Verba, yeah. he was the same as well. Like, he's a very, I don't know, have you ever met Tomas? Yeah, I've carved with him a few times out west. Yeah, so you'll know, like, he's he's pretty brutally honest. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, he did the same. He walked up and I was like, Tomas, I was like, I was, Dayton won't give me any advice and he can't because he's judging, but I hear you're pretty honest. Can you come and talk to me about my carving? And he comes over and he goes, Sam, you're, you're clearly a good carver, but nothing you've carved is moving. And I was like, okay, that was, I've got a day to work on that. I was trying to get things moving. And he came up the end of the third or fourth day and he was like, you fixed it. He's like, you still need to make them move a bit more, but they're better than they were last night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So do you have any events or competitions coming up this year? Uh, yeah. So I've actually not got many in the UK this year. Um, so at the end of April, I'll be flying out to... Uh, Pennsylvania and myself and my dad are the featured carvers for the rendezvous this year I saw so you're on the your carvings are on the t-shirts right and yeah so 
my dad was one of the very first UK carvers. I don't think he was the first, but I think he was up there as one of the first to make the trip over to the rendezvous back when I was like a toddler, like I would have been four or five years old. Uh, yeah. So, and he's formed a really good relationship with the Bonnies and myself and my girlfriend actually made a trip out to the Bonnies last year. Um, and we had a great time with uh, Liz and Rick and Zoe and Joey Dusha. Um, and obviously the... Uh, yes, yeah, so we had a great time with all the Bonnies and Zoe and Joey Dusha and we just got chatting and he says, Sam, are you ever going to come over to the rendezvous? I was like, I have to. I was like, you can't be a carver and not come to the rendezvous at least once in your life. And then I saw them again when I went over to Libby last year and kind of more talk started doing and then I think it was around Christmas time she says, how would you and your dad feel being on a t-shirt? And I had to read the message like five times. Um, <laughs> like, because I'm quite a young guy, I... I uh, I call a few folk my carving moms. So like I've got Michelle Scoggins as my Mississippi mom uh, and Liz is my uh, my Pennsylvania mom. And then I've got uh, Nanette Backus, she's my Washington mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, so like, even though it's Liz that someone I've known since I was tiny, I was like, oh my God, like what an honour. So obviously jumped at the chance and sent off. And the hardest thing is to think what we're going to have as a t-shirt. Like there's been some epic ones over the year. Have you ever... Uh, have you ever done the rendezvous, Molly? Yeah, it's it's really hard for me to get there because of teaching. Right. But I I went quite a while ago when my kid was a toddler. Right. Um, I think Jeff Samadusky might have been on the shirt. The yeah, horse one. Horse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it means. So you got like, so all that was going through my head was like, oh my God, Jeff's been on it with his horse. And then the Scoggins classic one where they're in bed with the shotguns. I <laughs> <laughs> um, like Stephen Higgins had his one and. Uh, oh, the names all drift at the head, but like I've been wearing them since I was wee. Like that, obviously, they were always too big for me, so I'd be like right. old and walk around like in my dad's XL rendezvous T-shirt. But because I had my my dad's name on the back, I was like the coolest guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going over to the the rendezvous this year, and I think so. Obviously, we're going to be on all the T-shirts, and I think I've got to do a seminar. Me and my, and my dad have to do a seminar. And uh, oh, a couple of car Do we still put those on YouTube, or don't you know? I have no idea, to be honest. Um, okay. So I've I've still never done the rendezvous. So this will be my first one. I think my dad's probably yeah. wrapped up six or seven rendezvous. Um, so he'll know the script far better than me. But I think it's mostly carve and drink, from what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did the rendezvous in uh, April, and then so I've been honoured uh, and lucky enough to be invited to Chetwind this year. Which, That's uh, so cool! Congratulations! Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, honestly from my first carving I ever did. It must have been around the same time they released the Chetwin video. Uh, I think it was the year that Dan Cordell carved his big tortoise with all the houses on its back. Oh uh, yeah! And Jeff carved uh, Lady Gaga playing the piano. So yeah. I think it was when I was like just kind of starting out on carving. I'm sure it was around that same kind of time, and I was like, one day I have to go to Chetwind. Um, and my dad got invited the year that Icelandic volcano erupted and it like grounded all the flights I think that was like 2010 or 11 um, like I can only well I say I can only just remember I would have been old enough to remember but I was pretty uh, I'm old little world for a little while there but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so he got invited years ago but obviously couldn't make it because of that Icelandic volcano letting all the ash out into the atmosphere so he knew he could get two Chetwind but he couldn't guarantee that he'd get his flight home again because all the flights around Europe were grounded for this volcano. Um, so like I say, I've been 
lucky enough to be invited there and I honestly can't wait and my my dad's actually coming out with me he's gonna be my helper for the event oh that's cool which is either gonna be a great move on my side or it's gonna be the worst decision I've ever made in my life (laughs) (laughs) you'll be brutally honest the whole time you'll be brutally honest and we're the classic father-son relationship where um he's never wrong and I'm always right (laughs) (laughs) um so I'll be doing Chetwin and I'm I'm hoping to get back to Libby in September, mainly because, like I say, when I came back from last year's event, I was on such a high. Like, it was just an event like full of everyone that was there. No one was super competitive. Um, everyone was there just trying to do the best carving they could, and there were some amazing carvings made. Everyone got the money they deserved at the auction. Everyone was quite willing to walk around and go, you need to do this, you need to do that. That's lovely. This is wrong. And... Like it's, I love that feeling of being absolutely exhausted after a day's work. Like that's the kind of feeling I try and get to every day. And yeah, Libby definitely did that because we had a really good yeah. week for weather. It was a uh, pretty warm, and yeah, I don't think it was rainy or cloudy one of the days at all. And it was just honestly one of the best weeks I've ever had in my life. Um, that's cool. It's fun to hear you say that about Libby because I I've only been to Libby once, but it. I got that same vibe. Everybody, it was positive. It was happy. People yeah. were hanging out. It was it was a great, great event. Yeah. And like I said, before we started recording, that was my first moment of, oh my God, I've been on a TV show. Because so obviously when you're in Libby, you're not far from the Canadian border. And yeah. uh, this husband and wife came down and they kind of waved me down. And I was like, oh, like I would chat to anybody that was walking past or anything yeah. like this. This couple waved me down and I was like, hey guys, you all right? And they're like, Sam, we've driven all the way from Canada. We want you and Ryan. To, can you go get Ryan? We want you to sign our T-shirts and our hats. <laughs> I was like, are you joking? Like, if someone put you up to this? And they're like, no, no, honestly, we watch, we're watching a cut above. We want you to we want you to sign our T-shirts. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I was stood there with the pen, and I was like, I don't know if I even know what my signature is. <laughs> uh, so Ryan was the same. Like, when they walked away, we were like, that really just happened? Like, is this what it's going to be? But I can safely say it's the only T-shirt I've ever signed. So it didn't take off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm hoping to get back to Libby this year. And then I've got um, over here in Scotland, I've got my my title to defend at the Scottish Chainsaw-only carving competition up in Carbridge. Um, okay. So last year, September is always a mental year. I don't know why, but all the carving events always seem to be around August, September. So Carbridge is always the first weekend of September. Um, so last year, I carved on the Saturday. Um, so basically the way the Carbridge happens is it's four hours and you're only allowed to use chainsaws throughout the competition. So you carve for four hours on the Saturday. You go home, you have a wash, you have a, you get your change of clothes. You all gather down in the pub in the village and uh, you all head out to what's called a Cayley. And it's basically like a big... It's basically a Scottish people's excuse to get drunk and dance badly uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a if you ever make it to scotland you've got to try and make it to akeley like it's just the best fun so it's just no one can dance everyone's too drunk to stand and we're all up there trying to dance um so we carved all day saturday we had the Cayley on the saturday night which went through to the early hours of sunday morning um i woke up with a hangover on sunday and drove to my friend's house in glasgow and my girlfriend orla uh, she drove me. She drove me to the airport. At, I think it was four o'clock on Monday morning, and I jumped on a plane and flew. I think it was about an eighteen-hour journey in total to get to Libby, Montana. 
Um, so I was hungover, tired, and jet lagged uh, for my oh, first, wow. few, first few days in Libby. And then before I knew it, the carving event started in Libby. And uh, I think it's going to be the same this year. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has to be at the same time. I know. It's literally and look, three events that I really want to try and get to is, um, is it Cedro Willie? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Cedro Willie. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm right in thinking Cedro Willie, Reed Sport, and Ocean Shores, they're kind of three consecutive weekends, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so they, the bummer is that one of those clashes um, with my biggest non-carving event show of the year. So um, oh. there's a big agricultural show in Scotland called the Highland Show, and uh, last year it was myself, my dad, James Elliott, and this guy from up north in Scotland called Ian Chalmers, and we just carved there for the four days and... Like it's one of the best events just for meeting new customers, getting a few sales in and stuff like this. So it's one of those ones that you, whatever you do, you always try and make sure you you make it to the Highland show. Um, so the bummer for me is that one of those shows always clashes with the Highland show. Um, yeah. So one day I'm going to have to bite the bullet and just skip the Highland show one year. But uh, at the minute, that doesn't look like it's going to be happening. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but no, honestly, it's... Uh, that's one of the, the perks of being a chainsaw carver, I guess, is getting to travel the world. Um, and I have a big fascination with Canada and America, as is. So any, pretty much any event I get invited to, I'll do what I can to get there. Um, like, I'd love to get to Block Bash one day. Uh, I'd love to get to the US Open. And yeah, it's just hopefully one day I'll get there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I know you just can't do it all, but you, you want to do it all. I know it. <laughs> Like my girlfriend's training to be a vet at the minute, uh, so she's got two years left of her vet course, and then she's a qualified vet. Um, okay. So we keep making noises of the year after she qualifies, so we just take a year off and buy an old beat-up camper and just make that our year for doing everything we can in the States and Canada. So start, that would be cool. Start up, at, start up in Pennsylvania, start with the, um, the rendezvous. If I'm lucky enough to get invited again to Chetwin, head over to Chetwin for June and then come down the West Coast and then head back over to the East Coast and get the East Coast shows in September and stuff like that. So maybe one day, um, normally things happen. So hopefully that happens too. Yeah, that would be a great year. <laughs> yeah. So you you kind of said earlier, so maybe we covered it already, but do you have do you have any advice for newer carvers and other than what you've already said? Um. My biggest advice would be if you really want to make something of it, this might sound stupid when it first comes out of my mouth, but basically become obsessive. Um, like I can honestly say I was and I still am obsessed with chainsaw carving. When I'm not carving, I'm sat having my lunch or I'm sitting at home on the couch looking at what everyone else is carving or um, trying to pick up little tips here and there. And any opportunity you get to get yourself out there, do it. So... Over here in the UK, I don't know if it's the same for the States, but to be able to carve in public, you have to have the minimum chainsaw certificate. So over here, you have to set a course so that you can show, basically you can operate a chainsaw um, properly and that you can look after it properly. And you basically just get a certificate being like, I, Sam Boucher, can cross-cut some logs and maintain a chainsaw safely. So the local college to me, they put me through that course and in return I carved at their open day. And that was my first ever public carving about a week after I'd passed my carving ticket. Uh, sorry, my saw ticket. Um, and I was there. I can't even tell you what I carved. Uh, I think I did a bench. I think I made a bench with some owls and a 
some thistles on it and it sold i made like 800 pounds on the day like i just took some horrible little stock carvings (laughs) Uh, like this was only about a year or two into my carving career i was still working as a welder at the time um but if you can get your face in front of people to the point where they're sick of seeing you that's the best advice i can give to anybody um like i would drive two hours just to sit in a little village hall at some craft fair and have all my little carvings sitting out and I might only leave with like 300 pounds in my pocket for a whole day and four hours driving, but that means that 30 folk were going home that night going, what was that lad's name that had the chainsaw carvings? And then you might never hear from some of them again, but then like I'm still getting people phone me now going, like I've not done that, that village hall that I'm talking about is in a, a little village called Bal McClellan. And I've not been to that village hall for three years, but I'm still getting people call me going, I took your card uh, a few years ago when you were at the Bal McClellan village hall and, I was wondering if you could carve me a present for my husband's Christmas this year. And like I say, if you get your face in front of people and you get chatting to folk, that's pretty much guarantees you're going to get work through the door. But yeah, you just, if you want something hard enough, or sorry, if you want something bad enough, you've got to work for it and nothing's going to get handed to you. And yeah, just work, 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 carve, carve, carve. And if you can, carve carve things to the point of you're sick of seeing them because repetition is the key to getting things good. Good advice. Good. Thank you. No problem at all. (laughs) Well, Sam, I appreciate you taking the time to be on and figuring out all the time zone stuff with me. This has been great. Yeah, it's been been an absolute pleasure, Molly. I'm I'm delighted to get asked to to be on your podcast. I've listened to a lot of episodes that I've been carving um, and hopefully I haven't bored people too much. But uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it and hopefully that lets folk know a little bit more about me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to go check out the other episodes. And if you could like it, share it, give it a review so other carvers have a chance to find it. Thanks.